Welcome to Home Dad Chat, brought to you by the National At-Home Dad Network. My name is Brock. My name is Danny. We are here to talk about life as stay-at-home dads. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. No, I don't want much. I even love handmade crafts made of macaroni. Come on now, you should know me. Sometimes I might eat too much. No worry about my weight. Got the dad bod rocking on me. Sketches on my feet. Cargo shorts look good on me. I'm a dad, that's what I do. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Oh, I mean, good day. <laughs> We're recording this in the morning. We don't usually good, record Whatever it time morning. it is where you yeah. are. Top yeah. of the day to you, wherever you are. <laughs> but hey, welcome back to the show. Oh, man, Danny. I don't know about you, but uh, Christmas is uh, coming around real quick. Uh, my kids are already home for Christmas break. <laughs> right? Which yeah. I was surprised. Mine don't go back until next week. I mean, they, they're they they're in school all week, excuse me, and they have next week off. Uh, but they only get a week for winter vacation for whatever reason. A week, wow. We're expecting more snow this year, and they want to pad the, the, the bank, as it were. <laughs> Oh, but the joys of living in the north. Yeah. <laughs> there's no snow. There's no snow. It 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 didn't even snow last night. It um it was frozen rain, basically. Yeah. And, we, and when they're going, hey, it snowed. Oh no, it didn't. It just yeah, it just got messy. That's all. So <laughs> looks like we'll have a brown Christmas, but I'm fine with that. Yeah, I, I was snow. very surprised. I actually heard them talking on the radio the other day about what the percentage of possibilities of a white Christmas are down here in Cincinnati. And I was like mm -hmm. blown away by how little of a percentage it was. They were mm -hmm. saying that it's 16% possibility of a white Christmas on any given year. I was like, Oh, well it makes sense, I hmm. guess. <laughs> on so, any year or just this year, like any year it's 16, wow. a 16% chance every year that it's going to be a white Christmas just because of, I guess how, I don't know, kind of the way the weather works around here, which I can see that it's, it's not like mm -hmm. we get a ton of the uh, uh, cold air coming down from Canada, which seems to be the, what produces most of it, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's kind of, kind of sad that that's, it's only. <laughs> that is, I, I, I honestly, I just kind of thought it was like, be like 80, like, yeah, we always have snow. I'm, I'm, you know, what do I know about Cincinnati? Almost nothing. So. Um, but I yeah. thought it'd be more than that. Yeah, I mean, where I grew, where I grew up, uh, we get lake effect snow because I was close to Michigan, so uh, that was not a big deal. Yeah, you, you you almost expected there to be snow, and it was a very weird anomaly if there wasn't. Apparently, down here, it's like it's a a huge extra present if you get <laughs> snow mm -hmm. on Christmas. So I feel like yeah. most. I feel like now that you know, thinking about about it, like we don't typically get a whole lot of heavy snow until like end of January, end of February. So, hmm. okay, pretty wild. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That's definitely when it's colder. What's really funny to me is that um, I'll talk with other people who live south of me in Wisconsin, and they'll get snow, and they'll get a lot of snow. I mean, I haven't gotten any, you know, because we're <laughs> we're like middle of Wisconsin, and it's something again about the jet stream or what have you, and the air just drops down below us and and covers yeah. them and stuff, and we don't get the precipitation or we don't get the cold weather. I don't know, um, <laughs> but I'm like, you got, I'm jealous. Yeah, which is a thing that a lot of people don't like me saying. They get very upset. They they uh, the phrase I learned I read yesterday phrase it's they yuck my yum. Oh, you know, okay. I like these things. Those are gross. What? <laughs> Come on, I like them. I'm enjoying it. And snow is one of those. I love it when it snows. I love seeing it fall. I love having it on the ground. I don't mind shoveling it. But again, I haven't been doing it for the last fifty years, so yeah. I have a you know I have a certain enjoyment of it that I that I haven't reached that point. Maybe in forty or fifty years, I'll be hating it too. But I love so it, the snow. I see it. you're out there shoveling it with a smile, and the and the locals are like, "He's not from here originally." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I asked my neighbor; he's got a very cool snow shovel. It's a much wider one than the one I've got. I'm like, oh, and for light snow. I mean, he cleaned his driveway in three walks, you know, down, back and down again. And he was done. And I'm like, hey, that's a, and I walked over to him like, that's amazing. Where did you get that? And he looked at me like, I'm going to kill you with it because <laughs> he's having to shovel snow and he hates it. And he's like, uh, I got this one at Fleet Farm. It's a big one. It's about 70 bucks. And that's all he said. And I'm like, 
okay, I'm going to back slowly away and go back to my own driveway. You're right, sir. I was you forgot wrong to walk to over, over here. You forgot to walk over with a little like winter warmer of some uh, right? yes. or something for him. Be like, hey, neighbor. <laughs> hey, neighbor. First, <laughs> let's toast. Yeah, put this in Here's your Here's to warmer weather. And yeah, finish that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like the old oh, St. Bernard. Goodness. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, you got to come Jug of whiskey it. under his throat. <laughs> I brought you a present. Let me help you. Oh, golly. Yeah, well. Yeah, with it getting getting colder and everything, you know, Christmas is, you know, coming around here soon. And also too, just, uh, I don't know, for me, uh, I really enjoy seeing stuff from other countries when it comes to the holidays too, because I feel like everybody mm-hmm. uh, celebrates things a little bit differently, but I like the traditional style and being mm-hmm. someone who has family origin from Germany, uh, the like, um, the the Christmas markets are amazing. And that's kind of the fun thing about being in Cincinnati is that you get some of those Christmas markets here because there is such a huge German influence, um, mm-hmm. which is cool. Uh, and I find that to be just an interesting thing because today we're going to have a guest on who's actually uh, joining us from Germany. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and He's a stay-at-home dad um, over in Germany, which, I mean, I get it. There are stay-at-home dads all over the place. Uh, We don't get to talk to too many um, that are international. Uh, We only get to really interact with one international. Mm -hmm. Our uh, favorite. Yeah. (laughs) So um, so it's like, it's going to be fun to talk to uh, to Carlos Baker. Um, He's got a lot of... different things to peel like an onion from him like he's he's experienced a lot and been through some things yeah or a nice parfait yeah that too yeah uh <laughs> so <laughs> i love it we have the food references here on this parfait um, have layers but i think it's going to be interesting talking to him uh just because he moved over to germany and i'm curious to find out what that was like how he went over uh mm-hmm. there and um, I saw in his one page bio that he had some things that he struggled with when he when he moved over there. And that's not uncommon because I feel like uh, we've had some members from the organization that have also done something similar where they've traveled across the seas to, uh, you know, their their spouse, their partner had a job and they spent some time over there. And I feel mm-hmm. like we heard from them occasionally on uh, Facebook pages and stuff talking about some of the difficulties they ran into. Yeah. So, Especially our military spouses. Yeah. I mean, and that is a constant thing that, okay, we're going to move again in two years. Where are we going to go? Mm, we'll find out when we get there and right. having children with you. And our guest has four kids mm-hmm. and imagining, I mean, I went to Germany for just like a week or so and, and it was great. It was amazing. And it was awful and it was horrible because I could not speak the language and I could not read the signs. Everyone there, fortunately, was very kind to have learned English as a child. So they could, almost everybody could converse with me a little bit. And many people held a conversation just like you and I are now. So it wasn't that bad. But if you can imagine trying to get your kids in school and to navigate a school system yeah, in another language. That would be you know, rough. That for me, uh, that would I, I that would take me a while to get used to. I would have to find some people at each school that I know personally. I've spoken to face to face. Like, yes, I'm not an idiot. I just can't speak your language yet. I'm working on it, but my it's, kids need schooling. So, you yeah, know. that's to me like this is where Google goggles, like the Google glasses that came out years ago, where like it would record and you know take take pictures and different things like that. Like mm-hmm. it needs to be able to like translate signs mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're in foreign countries. That would be super helpful. So get on that Google. <laughs> That's right. Also references back to they live. I don't know what that nope. is. Yeah. I didn't think it would. That's okay. It's a uh, movie starring Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. And you should definitely watch it. It's one of the most fantastic uh, sci-fi movies I think I've ever watched. It's, it's, it's of course not great. What it's not is great from? cinema. Wow. Yeah. Um, a while ago. Uh, <laughs> let's see. When did they live? Movie? Come out. Was this an yeah. 80s movie? 80s yeah. movie? Is it back when, was it during his? Uh... 88. Okay. So 88. it was when he was 
in the WWE at the time wrestling. Yes. And he okay. was absolutely went into it. I don't know if you know Keith David, who is a very famous actor. Um, you'd know his face, I'm sure. Yeah. But they got into this knockdown, drag out fight during the movie of just two big yeah. guys one wanted one to do something the other one didn't want to do it and they just butted heads until they got into a fight and it was all of the you know it wasn't all of it you you see you see um rowdy rowdy piper's skills you know oh yeah um and it's amazing that he comes in and, and it, it's it's a great movie it yeah, really been is in his he'd have been in his like height of his career at that point so mm-hmm. that, that's pretty wild yep. i'll have to check that out there's by john carpenter so fairly well, there famous. you go okay well yeah. that right there i mean that's good. You know, John Carpenter has got some great, you know, sci-fi mm-hmm. horror movies. They Live is an so. awesome movie, but it's all a lot of it okay. is about wearing a pair of glasses that allows you to see reality. Okay, and that's why I brought that up. That's why I said the I love that tie-in. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. That sounds interesting. So, all right, cool. Well, Not nerdy enough. That's. I think you just hit a really high mark on nerdiness, <laughs> honestly, to pull that out this early in the morning. So. <laughs> Well, hey, uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have uh, Carlos Baker with us, so we'll be right back. Become a member of the National At-Home Dad Network, an organization focused on providing advocacy, community, education, and support. Connecting with households where dad is the primary caregiver of the children. We do this through our webinar and podcast series, mental health support groups, regular online social events, as well as our annual convention. The National At-Home Dad Network is a 100% volunteer organization. Without the generous support of its members and the community around it, we would not be able to continue the work that we do. Becoming a member gives you access to past convention speaker presentations, the ability to vote for board members annually, and ensures that the organization's fees and bills are in positive standing. Oh yeah, It should not go unmentioned that there is some cool swag headed your way if you decide to become a member. For only $35 a year, your membership provides you with the exclusive content only we can generate, and you'll be supporting an organization that benefits families all around the country and world. By advocating for them, offering them community, providing education and guidance, and supporting them to grow in their parenthood journey. And one last thing. If you contribute $500 or more, you will become a lifetime member. Not only will you receive everything already mentioned, but also a certificate recognizing your status and an exclusive National At-Home Dad Network challenge coin with our trademark logo, Dads Don't Babysit. So, what are you waiting for? Become a member today. Hey, everybody, we are back. And as we were talking before, we have Carlos Baker with us. Uh, this is the first time we're getting to, to really talk to him. Uh, we've been conversing back and forth through email for the past while. So it's really excited to have you on the show, Carlos. How are you doing, man? What's going down, boys? I'm all right, man. Calling in from uh, northern Germany out here by Hanover and Hamburg. I'm a real German because I say it Hanover and Hamburg. I don't say it like you Americans. I'm sure they Hamburg. really appreciate the uh, the extended. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah see the difference. You guys say Hamburg <laughs> and I say Hamburg. Um, it's very subtle. It is. It is. <laughs> I went good. to Germany just recently and I realized how poorly I speak, and okay. it, it was amazing because for me it was a it was a horrible time, honestly, uh, because I don't speak any German. I, I mean, I could, I've heard it on TV perhaps, but it's all poorly, you know, poorly uh, pronounced. And we did go to a small rural town and the people there speak very good English. The people that I, that, you know, my wife's family, their English was amazing. And my German is basically five words of, I don't know how to speak German. Right. Oh yeah. Um, And even when I said that, they're like, you're, Still not quite getting the accent, but we know what you're saying. I'm like, well, yeah. I appreciate you being kind. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I've been here 14 on. years, man. 14 years. Oh, yeah. And I understand 100%. Like, I'm in context. I'm all in. But my speaking, like, I have four kids, and the kids just, they just cringe when I when I speak. Because it's, <laughs> man, it's hard. You know, I'm, I'm not too bright to begin with. But it's hard to learn a, a language when you're an adult. I think that's the reality, you know. Mm-hmm. So you've been but in they were raised there. for 14 years, though. Yeah, for it's it's actually hard to believe. Yeah, my my kids were we came over here when my kids were seven, six, four, and 
we were just about to have a newborn. We moved here and the kids didn't, my wife's German, and my, my kids didn't speak a word of English. And what's so great about kids. And, and I, I know we've all heard these stories, but we, we threw the kids into kindergarten and first grade or whatever it was back then. And uh, within a month, they were speaking German to each other in the house. Yes. Like, like that's yes. kids, right? Like, and, and right. I'm still like, uh, right. what, you know, what, what are you guys like? It was, it was so fascinating, but Did I you think just that's a... me. What? <laughs> Son of a bit. No. Right. Yeah, it's, I know what you said. Yeah, no, but it's, it's uh it is what it is. It's also, I never went to work here. So, you know, to my defense, I've been here 14 years, been a stay at home father all 14 years. And, and I'm a, a, a want to or, or I am a musician and mm -hmm. uh, all my buddies, like you just said, all my buddies are kind of my age or younger, and they all speak English and are psyched to get a chance to practice. So, yes, aside from talking with my, you know, in-laws and when I'm forced to, um, you know, it's it's uh, it, it is what it is, man. It's it's, mm -hmm. it's it's already passed and there's nothing I can do about it. I didn't do a good job kind of digging in to try and learn it, but um, I can fake it. So right. you, and you have four kids, right? You yeah. Said? Yeah. And so. You've been there for 14 years. They were all born uh -huh. over there. Is that Brock right? No, doing so, math. Look yeah. at Brock doing math. It's delightful. Oh, no. you know what happened? Seven, Brock, six, forgot... four. No, no, Brock, Brock forgot to carry the one. Damn. That's, I do that a lot. I know. Um, just scribble it out. No. Uh, so, wait, so how old so are you? I, 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 my kids are all grown up. So I have a, okay, they're fine. in the States. So, so I met my wife when I was 18, freshman year of college. Okay. So we've been together for 32 years, which is. Wow. Insane. Congratulations, like, man. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I adore her more now than I did 32 years ago, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, cause what is that, isn't that luck in the end? Like mm -hmm. yes. it's, it's work, work, I guess, it's work. but it's work, but, man. It's but it's luck. also luck. Like how, luck. what are the chances that I'm going to still want to, you know, I still make love to her happily. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's too much information, but I, oh, but I still good, adore her. <laughs> I go right in. Do it. You're, like, oh, you're fine. You're fine. Anybody that but, comes um, on the dad lounge yeah. knows that if 32 I'm years is amazing. Because that's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> yeah, 32 years is amazing. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, I met her 32 years ago. We we dreamed she was a full ride. This is a great story. She was a full ride volleyball player. She came over from Germany when she was 20 as an au pair and was playing at, in, in Connecticut at one of those um like uh bars that also has a beach volleyball court in it. You know, that's kind of might be oh, okay, a Connecticut yeah. thing. Okay. I'm not sure. And everyone had heard about her because she was a she is a nasty athlete. She's six foot, and she was playing against the men's in the A division. And the coach of University of Hartford heard about her, went to go see her play, offered her a full ride on the spot. Awesome. I was going there as well, freshman year, and we fell in love. Um, and uh, we used to dream that we were going to have four kids, and they were all going to be volleyball players. <laughs> and my three oldest kids as we speak, are all on full-ride volleyball scholarships in the States. Awesome. Nice. Okay. Good What's job. up, baby? Woo! That's right. <laughs> Let's go. No, it, Making it is, the dream come true. We still we still just, you know, we still just shake our heads, and, and it, uh, it is hard to believe that it kind of happened. And even weirder, I'm a normal-sized dude. I'm six foot. My wife is six foot, which is a little bigger than, than uh, taller than average. But mm -hmm. my son is six, seven. We don't have any that height in our in either one of our families, <laughs> and he's this freak athlete. So he's actually in New York City, and uh, yeah, we're so blessed, man. That's, that's awesome. awesome. That is wild. Yeah, so yeah, and, well, in German people, I mean, I some of them are tall, but I would imagine he probably stands out in a crowd. <laughs> yeah. It, what's funny is we, you know, if you're if you're from this world, so both my daughters, um, both my daughters and my son. We're in the, the Germany does a great job with athletes and with um, well with athletes and putting them into their kind of system and bring them in into their uh, boarding schools and all that stuff. So from a young age, all my kids, the German system took them over. They all went uh, one. The, the girls moved to Münster, Germany, when they were freshmen in high school, and my son moved to um, Frankfurt, Germany. So the the German system has been great to them and to us as a family and kind of you know helping them move along and, and, and getting to travel mm -hmm. and, and all this kind of stuff. But we're in this world where everyone's tall. Like, the, you know, my okay. daughters are six foot, six one. That's actually short in the world they live in, yeah. right? which is very odd. I was saying, yeah. Yeah, and then, to and, America, they're tall. <laughs> oh, they're, well, yeah, in America, they're, they're monsters. And, uh, and the, the parents, when, when we're, when we kind of go to those, we've been doing this for the last decade, kind of traveling on the weekends to volleyball tournaments and, and all the parents are, 
you know, six, five, six, seven. It's just, they're just tall people. So, uh, yeah, that's our yeah. world, man. Actually, my daughter spent, uh, my mom's from Bolivia, South America. So one of my daughters spent the semester there last year and, uh, and she was a, you know, Bolivians are a small people. Yes, man. they are. <laughs> and, and needless to say, she's a, you know, a very tall blonde American. And it was, uh, I, I only went for a week to visit her and my mom, but it was funny to see the attention she got. She, not bad. It was very uncomfortable with how the um the locals were were so sweet. They'd come up with her to random would just come up and be like, "Can we take a picture with you?" She's like, "I I guess you know, right? Just because right. she's tall and blonde, pretty much, mm -hmm. you know." Yeah, the, the I mean, it's exotic in its way, but also just the fact of the height that yeah. in itself, like we don't see a lot of tall women. Six foot is like surprising, much less any taller than that. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. It must be but like my, China. I, I haven't been got a chance to do China, but I, I'd imagine China is similar, right? It's everyone's kind oh, of mm -hmm. shorter when it's yeah. yeah uh, now I haven't been so, but I've, I've had friends that went and they're shorter than me. I'm only six foot, barely six foot, but they're, you know, five, 10, what have you. And they are head and shoulders, almost taller. Than, I mean, you see them, they've taken it. This is me in the crowd and someone took his, their, his picture and it, yeah, you yeah, could yeah. see his head. Above so everybody. Yeah. And he's like, and it's that's, very and that's just the melting pot thing, right? Yeah. That's the European American melting pot, right? It's yeah. just kind mm -hmm. of, which well, is it, it reminds me of right? like, you know, Arvis Brekin, one of our, one of our good friends who uh, in the, in the network, he's a uh, seven, four. Uh, he's got twin 13 year olds, I believe who are six, mm -hmm. five. And, and, he, and I know, He'll walk around. He lives out in Phoenix, Arizona, and he'll walk around, and uh, people think he's a basketball player. Yeah, and mm -hmm. they all. I mean, he's used to be lanky guy, and but yeah, they're all like, like oh, "Are you? Do you play basketball for <laughs> the Suns? Yeah. Where do you play? Where do you play ball? Because it's obviously you play ball. Yeah. You play ball man. He, yeah. He's so sick of hearing that. And and I you did. Know, I yeah. I read a. Uh, I think I read a stat that one in ten seven foot humans on Earth play professional basketball which which makes sense like yeah. the other eight are just angry that they're not athletes you know? <laughs> hey, i want to i want to back up real quick uh, carlos uh so i'm looking at your one sheet on some things here and uh you know you mentioned in here that you you know you're a songwriter a musician and an author and uh the one that sticks out to me is the uh you're an amputee uh survivor um and i see your picture here where it looks like uh, I don't know if you're, are you uh, cosplaying, I think is what that is. Oh, yeah. like, it looks like you're at a Renaissance festival or something. That's not, that's not cosplay. That yeah. is a cool picture. Is that uh, a USCA where, what, what you were fighting? This was, no, this was so random, man. I love I, it. You got so, like a yeah. sword leg. <laughs> yeah. He, the guy. So, so I, yeah. So to, to, to go back. So when I was a kid, um, had a real, you know, kind of, um, storybook childhood, you know, we lived out, out in, uh, Rehoboth, Massachusetts, kind of near the Rhode Island border. And my my grandfather, uh, I come from a fourth generation family-owned business, which is pretty cool. My, my gramps, yeah. you know, had was kind of living that back then, that would have been what, the 70s, was living that dream where he bought a little piece of property outside of the city he grew up in, which was, we, we grew up, he grew up in East Providence, Rhode Island, where he opened his first pet store and ultimately had a pet, a pet distributional facility out there. And, um, so bought a piece of property and my dad went to work for my, my grandfather and built like a $25,000 raised ranch on, you know, next to the gentleman's farm that my grandfather had. So very, nice. I feel like that's, I feel like that was the American dream back then. Right. It was absolutely like then it was. And, and, and the beauty is even about an hour and a half into Rhode Island, my grandfather had like a little lake house on, on this little teeny lake where we had a little boat where we, you know, water skied. So in retrospect, when I think back, we had a very, you know, wonderful childhood until I was mm -hmm. 12. And when I was 12, I was a typical boy, you know, like all boys playing sports and all that stuff. Kept up complaining to my, to my mom and dad that the, my left foot, I was having kind of pins and needles in my left foot more often than normal. Mm -hmm. And we kept putting it off and, you know, it seemed like something a boy maybe would experience. My knee was bothering me a little. And then ultimately my knee got swollen. We, my dad uh, brought me to a walk-in kind of a clinic in East Providence, Rhode Island. It's still there to this day. Uh, we walked in nonchalantly, you know, my son's knee seems a little swollen, no problem. I'll take an x-ray. 
and the guy, the uh, the doctor on call walked in, and even at 12 and a half, I, I, I so vividly remember when he walked in, the energy was so heavy that even as a 12 and a half year old, I was like, oh, this, it must be something like it, it must not yeah. be simple. And, uh, and he didn't say it out outright. He said, yeah, you know, there's something happening there. Um, I'm going to send you over right now to a colleague in, at Rhode Island hospital. I want you to go there right now. You know, we think there might be something that we need to take a look at. And he knew, he knew right away that it was, a um, very far along a tumor that was totally engulfed in my knee mm. and kind of up my femur bone. And, uh, and from there began this insane two-year battle of uh, the cancer. They ultimately found osteogenic sarcoma, which is a, a bone cancer found in usually teenagers. And um, yeah, from one day to the next, it was all in trying to, you know, trying to figure out how to save my life for way yeah. too long, it seemed. Um, ultimately, they tried to save my leg uh, from basically right from that was that would have been 87 December of 87 so I was 12 and a half years old and um tried to save my leg for for two years I had chemotherapy for a year uh, they took tumors out of my left and right lung all the things that kind of could have gone wrong went wrong and mm. for all intents and purposes I wasn't supposed to survive um and and for some odd reason you know we I, uh, I've done a bunch of these, uh, podcasts and it's always the same question. What, what was the, why did you survive? And, you know, ultimately the answer is so strange because I was, is I was in the worst shape I could have been. So they, you know, I, I would get four months of chemotherapy and then they'd find tumors in my lung and then I get the surgery and then they do four more months of chemotherapy and they'd find tumor in my other lung. So it was like, you know, and people all around me were dying. These kids that at Dana-Farber, whether they had Ewing's or leukemia or all these different type, types of cancer, they were dying all around me. But what's strange is it never once dawned on me that I could die. I, mm -hmm. It never crossed my mind. I never said to my parents, am I going to survive? It was just like, oh, you know, more surgery. You know, and, and, and then again, when my parents think about it, I was always kind of a, a, you know, for, for lack of a better phrase, a free spirit. So it's kind of in my own world a little bit all, all my life. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely very confident, definitely kind of, um, full of myself to some degree, even as a kid. And it was just like, uh, more stuff. Okay. Another surgery. Uh, yeah. all right. Whatever. And oddly, uh, there's, there's a story that goes along with it that I'm always reticent to tell because it's, it's so very, it tends to be uh, taken very uh, religiously and I'm not a religious guy. I'm an atheist. So, mm -hmm. but the, I'll tell it because people get a kick out of it is they found nine months into surgery. They found a grapefruit sized tumor in my right lung, which basically the doctor said to my parents, do you want to take the lung out or, or, you know, one of the lobes or take the entire lung out? Or do you want to go make memories? Cause your son is obviously, you know, I was just, I was skin and bones at that point. And my parents were like, take, do, you know, bring them in, take the, take the lung out. And we're going to, okay. we're going to go find yeah. some different chemotherapy that, so, um, so, uh, my mom heard about, my mom's quite spiritual. She's from Bolivia. She heard about some guy coming into Seekonk, Rhode Island, which is, I mean, Seekonk, Massachusetts, which is kind of near where we live. Very white, um, kind of upper class, uh, town. And there was some healer coming through town, totally random. So my mom and dad bring me there. This is the night before I go in for the surgery. We walk in and in the front, there's a, uh, there's a woman there playing guitar, a, a, an American woman playing guitar and singing Spanish music, which, which in itself was kind of odd. Which, uh, yeah. There's no yeah. Spanish people in Seekonk, Rhode Island, so, right. uh, Seekonk, Massachusetts. So, uh, to make a long story short, I end up in the front of, you know, uh, of the church and there's people with their hands on my chest you know, kind of speaking in tongue. It was very emotional. I was 12 and a half and, and super sick on crutches. And, uh, and, you know, I, I must say whether it was the emotion of the moment, but I was crying and I did feel warmth because there was a bunch of strangers hands on me. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and to show you how kind of the, my personality, uh, as we're walking out the door with my mom and dad, as a joke, I threw my crutches to either side and I was like, I'm healed. You know, just being a silly kid. And my dad's like, you can't do that. 
That's right. blasphemy, you know. Right. Grab your, you know. So, um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, went home, I, thought nothing of it, went into surgery the next day and woke up to the uh, news that there was no tumor in my lung. It was it was gone, and uh, that happens. The doctors say it happens. Mm-hmm. It's They don't know, they don't have answers for why it happens. Right. But right. Um, in the end- Some people they, will say God. Some people will say, right. oh, this just happens. It's not- Or we, yeah. we, have, we have the ability, you know, I, I tend to think that maybe we have this ability to tap in and- you know, one time a doctor, when I was uh, a friend of ours, that's a doctor. And I was saying, yeah, who knows why that stuff happens. And and his response was really funny. He's like, well, Carlos, if, if you, if someone gives you a kidney transplant and puts a, a foreign object in your body without immune suppressants within hours, your body is attacking that very specific organ and mm-hmm. will kill it. So he's yep. like, so it's not theory that we can heal ourselves. It's, mm-hmm. it's, Fact. Fact. The question is, how can we heal ourselves? How can we yes. figure it out? And and not to say that I, you know, who who knows what happened. The bottom line is, um, they they made the decision. The doctors made the decision to do say, okay, we're we don't know what happens. We're done at this point. We're not going to do any more chemotherapy. We're going to wait and see. And um, that was it. I I went wow. at that point. Uh, I my leg was in. I still had my leg, but it had a staph infection in it, and they had done a bunch of surgeries to try and save it. And ultimately, uh, about a year later, um, we opted to to amputate it to the just above the middle of my thigh. So I have about nineteen mm-hmm. centimeters of femur bone. And again, kind of uh, atypical is if any thirteen or fourteen year old I was fourteen at the time would have the, would lose their leg. Normally they'd say, yeah, that was the worst day of my life. For me, I had just spent two years sick and my leg was completely and utterly, it was barely a leg anymore. It was, it was oozing. It was just a total mess. It didn't bend. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it gave me pain. So when they amputated it, for me, it was like a win. Yeah. So, you know, again, I, I, I look back when I look back at my life and I try and make sense of it. And, and Lord knows I've had plenty of ups and downs and I've, I've dealt with my, I have demons, but when I look back at those memories, the way I remember them and my parents will say, well, you, you're an idealist. You don't remember the hard times, but they were good times. Like I remember it as being a positive. I was getting a lot of attention. I, the nurses were amazing. I was fascinated by the doctors, you know, so, um, the whole experience, you know, and as fathers now, um, mm-hmm. as fathers, I understand now what it did to my family. So I understand that for me, it wasn't seemingly that bad, but it destroyed my family. It killed my mom and dad. You know, they were, I don't know that my father ever recovered to some degree. I, I think it, well, his heart was broken to the point where I don't know that he recovered. I mm-hmm. think it's, I mean, I, I'm very close with them and but but as a father of of four children, you know when they have the sniffles, we're like, ah, oh, my yep. baby can't breathe t- tonight, you know, right? And, and my parents, uh, you know, they I, they they told me they they everyone assumed I wasn't going to make it, and that was just the reality of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's my cancer story. Wow, yeah. thank you that's for amazing. sharing that, especially yeah. with the adding at the end too about how your father your parents probably saw it. Because that is like, it, I I do not like feeling helpless. I really don't. Yeah. Mm. But every single time my kids are sick. Absolutely. It doesn't matter what it is. They have poison ivy. Uh, well, yeah. okay, I'm going to try to put some stuff on you. They're not yeah. going to be harmed. It's not going to be injurious yeah. to them. They're going to get over it. Like you said, a cold for one night, you're okay. But that feeling of helplessness. Yeah. And I can just imagine how your parents must have, have felt yeah. watching you and not really seeing a way out yeah know, and it whereas... took me and yeah and it took me years to kind of um to appreciate that or, or to uh i guess just even before i had kids it took me years to recognize what the experience where it um where it kind of fit into my community so not just mm-hmm. my my direct family, but my community, not, not that I was a, a, a famous, uh, you know, uh, kid, but you know, in the, in the community we lived in, I was that guy. And, and, you know, I, I think back before I got sick, there were a few kids that had cancer and, and passed away. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I can remember them kind of coming in with with no hair or whatever. And oh, yeah. and it took me years to even come to terms that, oh, I was that kid for everyone else in the community. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, wow. Yeah, it it's kind of yeah. really. It, and one one example always pops into my head is I had two really close best buds uh, guys that were kind of with me the whole ride. And after we went to college, um, one of them was going to UMass for, to be a teacher. And, and, uh, so this was freshman year, we're 18 and he he called me and he said, Hey man, I, I just want you to know, I wrote a book for, for one of my classes. I wrote a, like a children's book about you. And I was like, Oh, that's so cool, man. You know, whatever, send it over. This is pre internet. So, you know, f- send me a physical copy, man. Yeah. yeah. So he sent me a copy and, and it, it was kind of went through, he, he drew it and went through it and, and one of the pages was like, you know, and we all thought he was going to die or something like that. And I literally called him. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, that's how naive I was. I'm yeah. 18 years old. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, dude, do you not know that everyone just assumed you were going to die? Like what? And I was like, no, didn't know. So, it, yeah. you know, wow. just very strange. Uh, and then the other, the other similar story is uh, when I was, I don't know if I, I'm not sure what age I was, but I said to my grandmother, I was real close with my grandmother. I think I was learning about, um, the depression. So it must've been high school, the great depression. I was asking her just one-on-one in her house. I said, you know, do what, what memories do you have of that? And, you know, what was the worst thing that happened in your life? And she was so cute. She was like, well, I guess you. And I laughed because I <laughs> thought she was joking. I was like, oh, that's, that's funny. No, really. And she's like, no you getting sick was, was probably the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I'm like, Oh, oh. you know, like those are like, yeah. I, those are moments that as an, it, I don't think at the moment it was as heavy as it is now. When I look back again, mm-hmm. when I, I think I, I was, I was such a, um, and continue to be, and it, to be honest with you, it's a kind of a flaw as I was such not a serious person that, that stuff took time for me to even um, make sense of, but I, I I remembered them because it must have been my psyche. I must have recognized that those were heavy moments, mm-hmm. but it took me kind of years to kind of work through those things. Uh, I remember thinking, "Oh shit, you know, wow, my grandmother just told me that what I went through was the worst thing in her life. That's that's interesting, and that's it's strange, man." Yeah, and the fact that she lives through the great depression you said because you were asking her about that time well, is that right I, I, perhaps but it, it was yeah I, you know in general is i just couldn't believe that and, and that was i think that's what i'm saying is it took me years to recognize that i affected the whole community i, I you know mm-hmm. a, another example is my brother was looking at a, a house and, and the real estate agent I, I was for some reason with him when the real estate agent was showing a house that he was looking at and through conversation she figured out I think she asked me why I'm limping. And I said, oh, I, when I was a kid, I lost my leg. And and, and she was like, well, are you? And, and she figured out who I was. And she started crying. I, this Aww. is a stranger, you know? Aww. So I would have been probably, again, I think I was maybe 16 or 17. And she's like, oh, I remember seeing you, you know, walk in. And I'm like, Jesus, man. <laughs> I, I screwed everyone's life up, man. <laughs> it sounds like, though, that you had this, like, this perspective of, you know, staying positive really and yeah. not letting it like take over your life or your perspective of what was versus or more than that, just not yeah. recognizing yeah. that it was negative. And like I use the word never came to your mind that you were going to, I use the word naive. I use the word naivety. And, and, and then when I'm, if I'm with my buddies or I say it, it it's almost like a, like I'm, I was so dumb and, and, you know, not literally, but I was such a, it, there was such an innocence about, I, I was a young 12 and a half year old. I wasn't kind of a, you know, you know, an inner city wise. I was a kid mm-hmm. and I was just dumb. And my parents were like, Oh, you got to get, you, you got to get this and you, oh, you got to get chemotherapy and that. And, uh, I think, yeah, I think that it's, it's a little bit of nature and to be honest with you, the, the lack of seriousness, my, my lack of ability to, to take things, uh, serious ultimately, um, caused me, uh, trouble in my life because, you know, um, as I got older and, and, 
you know, at some point we all have to grow up. That's just mm-hmm. reality. I, I have, I have fought it all my life, but the reality is sooner or later, you don't have a choice. So, you know, I did have to get married sooner or later or not have to, but sooner or later you settle down and I went to work for the family and I got a mortgage and we started having kids. And at some point you, you've got to kind of not man up because it, that's such a, it's almost like a sexist word, but mm-hmm. you do kind of have to be like, well, this is cool. This is the next logical step in life, right? I got to be a little more serious. I got to grow up, got to grow up. And, and I couldn't do it. The reality is I, in retrospect, I, I couldn't do it. I wasn't prepared. I didn't have the, the gear to kind of, um, kind of own the, the, that those probably normal, very basic, um, you know, mechanisms that you have to have to deal with stress and to deal. Mm-hmm. And, and the result was in my early thirties, you know, making a good living, working too many hours, uh, you know, loving my wife, but a lot of, you know, we had three kids in 36 months. So a lot of pressure and my brain from one day to the next, I was, I, I know where I was when it happened because it's not something you forget, but me and my best friend went to go, we drove into Boston to see one of those, um, John McEnroe used to play in those events with like Anna Kornikova and they would yes. play, in, you know, kind of like celebrity events. And, uh, something was bothering me. I was like having, I wasn't feeling right. And it had been coming on like this sense of anxiety in retrospect it was anxiety. And I had a panic attack from, from one second to the next, I was standing there and all of a sudden, boom. And my mm-hmm. life changed forever. At that moment, I went from being a regular human being one second and the next second I spent the next two years of my life running and fearing to ever have another panic attack. So, you know, I, I fell into a, a brutal depression and it, and it was as a result really of, I, I just couldn't handle it, you know, and, and, um, it, it was, it, it's, I feel like all of this is so obvious. So when I, when I state it, it, it sounds obvious, but it took me a decade to, to make sense of is the result of that was um, it took me two years to finally ask for help. Two years of just hiding in my own little world. You know, I, I started hating everyone. I started hating my mom, my brother, my dad, my, the only person I didn't hate for those two years was my wife and my kids, you know, everyone else. I thought they're out to get me. Right. So it took me two years to finally, ask for help, get on the right meds, you know, kind of come back to some normalcy. But then once, once I got to that, some neutral as a, as a result of, uh, for me, it was this drug called Effexor, which I'm on to this day. I then had to deal with this emotional, uh, emotion called shame of, Mm -hmm. oh, I just failed as a man. I just failed. And, and that took me that didn't take me two years to deal with. That took me uh, about a decade. Yeah, and that that to me was depression sucked. It was it. I still fear panic attacks. I I I still am very aware at every second of my life that it could happen again. Um, but to me, the the post depression, you know, what just happened? Why did it happen? Why did why am I a failure? Why can I not handle life like everyone else? That was the that was the fight that I had that, you know, if, if a fight was going to take me out and I was going to go that the other direction, it, it was during those times. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, man. And, and, and the next logical question, I, I'm just doing your job. You guys can go. Yeah. Yeah. We break. just let go, you go. go get a cup of coffee, man. Right. We'll be uh, right the next lot. The next logical question <laughs> is, um, why did it happen? And, and, uh, you know, was it, was it as a result of, of, not handling being sick as a kid appropriately and burying the, the negative feelings and who knows, right? It's, I would say no to that one. I just from my own personal experience, I only have anecdotal evidence. I can't, you know, I'm not a doctor, but <laughs> no, you, you did exactly what you needed to do yep. and you went through some very heavy things, but you went through them and you got through them. Well, yep. you won. If we have to use win or fail in this, in this, you know, this, th- th- that verbiage, you did what you, what you needed to do to survive. Agreed. And yeah. not only that, but I love it that you just, 
never really considered that you were going, you could potentially pass away that they, that anything else could, yeah. Okay. So I got another surgery. Okay. So I got another tumor. Okay. We'll just take care of this thing and just took it step by step. And you, you, you named it as naive. Um, and I, I really just, I feel like I resound with every word you're saying, Mm. because for me, it's, I'm childlike. Mm. My mind is childlike. My outlook on on life is childlike, Not, not childish, Right. I'm still mature. I still have things, but I can see the joy and yeah. no one's ever called me an idealist, but maybe they should have. Um, yeah. But hearing it from you, I'm like, yeah, Carlos, I get that. Exactly. You did exactly what you needed to do. And I'm not a therapist, right? I have my own mental health issues and have for decades, yeah. but what I see from what I, from a lot of the men that I've talked to, cause I run support groups and stuff like that. Talk to a lot of people that you you went through it, you got through it, and you survived. And this is how you did it. And that's exactly like it should have been. And yeah. then you had stuff to deal with. Yeah. You know, and it's not because you didn't do it right for sure. I, and I really hope you don't think that. Because I know it I'm like and, and you I, aced no, it, buddy. <laughs> and Danny, I totally agree. It it's I I all it just seems like when when I tell this story, people they tend to like they they want to say. Well, that's probably as a result of all the stuff as it, they want to kind of put, put it on that. And I, and I, I tend to disagree as well. I, I, I say, I say that, you know, my childhood was not ideal, but in an odd way, you know, kind of, I, you know, kind of beautiful. It's, it's very strange for me to say anything other than yeah did i have challenges was i was i pissed in high school that i couldn't play sports like like dudes play yeah of course definitely Mm -hmm. i i don't i don't you know i can't say that it was perfect but it's very difficult for me to be like oh my god that was that was the worst it i don't see it that way my Mm -hmm. parents do remind me like you had a lot of bad days like there were days and i'm like "Ah, okay but i gotta be honest i don't remember them you know so yeah. And it, and as far as the depression, you know, it's in my fan. Well, the, the funny thing about depression, and and I do feel like we're. I'm assuming we're all similar uh, generation, right? I'm 50, so I mean, you guys are You're closer 40, to him right? than me, but yeah, 54, <laughs> 55 oh, in a month. And AARP already knows it and has been hunting me down. Oh God, <laughs> nightmare! I got a email from. Uh, some restaurant Perkins, I think it's called. I don't know the restaurants here yet. I've only been here for a couple of years and they, they sent me there. Hey, we have a special 55 and over. And, <laughs> you get no, the senior, no. the senior. And I, went, I, get out. I refuse. Get out. I'm right. Not gonna right. <laughs> right. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. But we're, we're about the same ages. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're close. And, and I do feel like our generation, I, I hope, man, I, I hope we were, we are the last generation that, that there's kind of so much, um, you know, you don't talk about depression. Yeah. I mean, there's our generation still has it. This new generation, it's, it's like a rite of passage. It seems, which I said that I said that a little too off the cuff. I I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it that way. It's different for this generation. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, after I, I was more comfortable to start to talk about it and I started kind of talking to my family, my dad's side of the family, it was so annoying. They're like, Oh, you, yeah, yeah, we're all on. Oh, everyone on this side of the family is on. And, you know, we all went through it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you, what? <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, everyone deals in their 30s. We all get, uh, you know, panic attacks. I'm like, you mother. So, uh, <laughs> so I think it was coming for me no matter what. I think in my case, I, I, I'm mm-hmm. not a therapist either. This just in, but um, I do feel like it was super chemical for me. And, and, and when the doctor did kind of, uh, get once we did find that right again it was a or for me mm-hmm. I, I think it was chemical man you know and it's been 15 years and you know i did the work man i i, I did a lot of work to to make sense of the, the emotions yes. that come with it but from a from a chemical standpoint i don't fear too much even though i say i do i don't fear that i'm going to fall back into it i'm i guess it could happen right i i i it would be bizarre if it did, but it could mm-hmm. happen. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't equate the two, man. I guess in the end, uh, it, it depression for me is much, is much like cancer is as tough as those years were. I, my perspective on how my brain works on seeing that dark side of, you know, seeing that other side of, of the way my, my mind 
doesn't work. Um, it's given me, uh, you know, tremendous perspective on how life works and, um, and in my outlet, um, you guys alluded to it in the opening is, you know, I'm a musician. So kind of all of my stuff that needs to come out, all of those dark thoughts and those, they come out in song or, you know, kind of lyrics. Mm -hmm. So again, man, I'm, I, 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 I do kind of sound like an idealist now, but, uh, <laughs> de depression for me, you know, it's, it's one more, it, it's one more step. I certainly don't shy from it. I certainly don't, uh, you know, uh, pretend that it didn't happen. And, you know, my kids are aware of, I, I had, of course I shared it with my kids. Cause I'm like, Hey man, as you guys get older, you know, if you start to feel this stuff, yes. well, we got to talk about it and it's all yeah. good, man. It, it is what it is, you know? And I love it too, that, because I've noticed that with myself is, is you have the ability to look at it. Unlike, as you mentioned, the previous generation, which would yeah. warn you, <laughs> you know, yeah. they would admit these things happen and say, yeah, uh, just in case these things come along, let's be prepared yeah. for it. Let's understand that this is potentially a chemical thing in our family line. Yeah. Man. And it's, it's like anything, right? I, I mean, we, yeah. again, stating the obvious, it's like high blood pressure, man. It, I mean, yes. In our family, we're probably going to run into it. It's, it, you know, one of, one of the, uh, the siblings on my dad's side, three of them are on the same antidepressant and one of them mm -hmm. drinks, which, you know, it's basically an antidepressant. It's it your is, choice, yeah. dude. You want to drink? Guess. Fine. You know, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're about Carlos. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Definitely. Right. I was going to say we're, we're about 10 minutes left to go uh, for, uh, for the show. Uh, Danny, you mentioned uh, to me earlier about a book that he's that, that Carlos. Yeah. Carlos, I wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about your book and just um, it, it's an interesting um, framework, I guess, for, for the story. Uh, and I'm going to let you tell it because you're the author, but I yeah. really liked, I've only read the first couple of chapters. Oh, um, thank you, man. So, That's so cool. Well, yeah, I figured I had to know what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. But uh, I also you was my, interested. You and my mom both read the first We're it. Couple We're chapters. It. We're it. I'll read the whole thing. Don't worry. I will read it. Um, it's, it's just, I didn't have time between no, thank you, man. four kids um, myself. So, but yeah, tell yeah. us about oh, the, the book. You, are your kids all grown up? You've got the four no. kids as well. No, no they're, yeah, they're oh, 17, 14, 10 and nine though. So they're okay. pretty, okay. I'm in management. Oh, yeah, yeah now yeah, yeah. I, I don't have to watch them every second you started a little later yeah uh so my kids were my daughters yeah so stay at home so so we moved uh, i'll back up a little we moved to germany i i got to you know got, got the depression i caught the depression mm -hmm. and uh and, and you know got on the meds and kind of started being honest with myself my wife everyone and which everyone knew i was something was wrong but my wife from kind of one day to the next she was like um, do you want to move to Germany? And I was like, yeah, she's like, okay. I, I mean, it was, it was, she's, she's from here. <laughs> cool. And, you know, and I knew I needed to make a change. You know, I, I, my gut told me that it, th there was so much there. I had, I knew I had so much to deal with at that point, even though I, the sun had come out again and I was on some meds and I knew I was up against it. So, um, so she said, do you want to move to Germany? And I said, yes, let's go. And we packed up our house and our, like I said, then seven, six and four year old and with no plan and no money, we moved <laughs> to, uh, we moved to the little village she grew up in. And, um, we moved into when we, when we arrived that the container was in route and we moved into the, uh, the apartment where her mother and, uh, the, and my stepfather or whatever you'd call it, the new husband and her 90, then 95 year old grandmother were living in, in an apartment. And me and my wife and our three kids moved in there. Wow. And so that we were all kind of sleeping on couches and blow and, and, uh, stressful, but amazing. Like, you know, mm -hmm. the, 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 the community it's, it's one of those, um, you know, I feel like we're, when you come to, it's called numbing. When you come into this little village, it feels like it's a hundred years back in time. Mm -hmm. You know, most, uh, most, uh, houses have multiple generations living in them. Um, Everybody knows each other. My wife was the only person from her generation that left, but you know, mm -hmm. everyone else kind of stays, you know, that's yes. just, it's, it's kind of beautiful. Do. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so they were super supportive of us. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a good dude, even though I don't speak German, but I'm a, I'm a, you know, I think I'm a, from what Germans would probably imagine I'm a typical American where I'm small talky 
And yeah. no, I don't speak German, but I'm gonna communi- I'm gonna try and communicate with you anyway, type of person. And then I love kids. So so my job quickly became taking care of the kids. My wife went back to work full time here as a she, she's a psychologist, and uh, and so began our new life, man. Like mm-hmm. you know, we we moved to Germany, it was, and uh, and and I raised my kids kind of very hands on. You know, uh, this was pre uh, cell phone, so you know, I was I was super engaged with my kids, and then my daughter started playing volleyball, and I, we were on the road all the time. You know, every day, every weekend. So mm-hmm. I was really focused on my kids, but not to say more than other fathers, but maybe more than other fathers. Right. I, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. I just know my own situation. Well, I would imagine over in Germany, that would be definitely an outside of the box type oh my God. stereotype for fatherhood. Oh, my God. It's, it's, oh, people thought we were nuts. It, yeah. yeah. It, was, <laughs> it, it was the best though. You know, it was, I loved, I got to know every kid in the, you know, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the village and it, it was the best. Mm-hmm. And I'm a musician, so I would play guitar for the kids and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, when the kids were, let's say about 50, the, my daughters were, let's say 15 and 14, they were, I'm a reader and they, they became readers as well. So the Christmas of 2016, we, we, my wife and I got them a bunch of young adult books and I was reading the back of their, the books on Christmas, Eve, uh, Christmas day. And I was like, uh, you know, I've read a million books. I bet you I could write a book. Like, you know, I'm going to write a book. And, and I, I've read all, I read all their young adult books. And what I like about young adult books is it's not necessarily about fine prose, right? It, it's, mm-hmm. it's actually the opposite of that. It's really about a, yes. a very digestible story that young adults can read and, and connect with. Right. So I was like, I can do that because I'm definitely not a writer. You know, I'm not, I don't know what fine prose is. I actually don't even know what that phrase means, but, uh, you know, I, I definitely can come up with a story mm-hmm. and, uh, and I bought a little shitty computer and for 18 months, every single day, every free minute I write, I wrote and it was, there was no plan. I didn't have kind of an outline, nothing, just, just like I approach music, uh, writing songwriting. It was just, I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down today and let it kind of happen. Mm-hmm. And what ultimately happened was th- the main character was a 16 year old girl who, who, a volleyball player who, um, when she was one years old, her 16 year old brother was facing the same cancer that I went through the same thing I did, but was terminal. Mm-hmm. So he made the decision to write a novel. I mean, write a few months of his life and with instructions to give it to his then one year old sister on her 16th birthday as a way for her to get to know him. So that was, that mm-hmm. was the concept. That was the big concept that it started mm-hmm. with. Which was really kind of, you know, it, it wasn't planned, but when I when I then had to sit down and and think of, you know, I, I don't think I had ever, I, I don't, I mean, I know I had never dug in to memories of the sounds and the smells and the experiences that I went through those that those two years. Mm-hmm. You know, I just wasn't that type of dude. I hadn't gone back and and I hadn't dwelled on it. So so I found myself aside from the other characters that came to life, this particular character w- became this amazing kind of like uh, therapeutic journey where I was like, okay, what, what stuff happened? Like, what can mm-hmm. I remember? And, and, you know, there's, there's a handful of examples that I know for a fact, I had never taken the time to dig in and remember them and certainly not uh, talk about them with anybody. Mm-hmm. And I, and one, one example I, I think is it, it's a great example of is after the amputation, um, about, so right after, when you wake up from, in my, in my case, from an amputation, they, they cast, they put a, a cast on your stump and mm-hmm. that's to keep the swelling from, you know, it's keep the swelling down. So a real tight cast. And about three days after the, the surgery, I get taken into a room with my doctor, Dr. Mark Gebhardt, wonderful man. And, uh, he's like, all right, Carlos, we're going to, you know, we're going to use one of these saw things to take off the cast and take a look at the wound. And I'm like, oh, okay, doc, you know, he had been my doctor for the last two years. He had done all the surgeries. And, uh, so he cuts off the cast, takes it off, unwraps the gauze. And there's my, you know, bloody swollen nightmare of a stump. I'm, yeah. I'm 14 and a half years old and I'm seeing yeah. my, my stump for the first time which just just this statement in, in itself 
is is heavy, right? Yes. And very. and the doctor, I, I can just so vividly, he goes, well, and he's kind of like poking it, and he's like, you know, looks pretty good, Carlos. And I'm like, I got to tell you, Doc, I, I, I'm not I'm not sure I agree with that. So there was even like a moment of levity in this such a heavy moment. Mm-hmm. Like, but I, I know for a fact, I hadn't thought of that, but to, to, tr- to force yourself, to force oneself to reach into those in some ways, dark, but beautiful and, and, you know, um, and meaningful moments and, and then bring it out and put it on paper. I, I feel like was super therapeutic for me. You know, it was kind of just, you know, doing, doing what maybe what therapy does when you go to therapy is just bringing that stuff out and, and, you know, giving it back to the universe or whatever, however you want to look at it. Right. Yeah. And, and there were so many examples of that where, where when the book was finished, when it came to an end, you know, and there's, there's five or six stories that kind of interweave when it came to an end, it was like, um, it was one of those moments where it's like, holy shit, I did something like, you know, I don't know if, you know, I don't know that I'm, I'm going to be the next John Grissom, but I started something, I finished Mm -hmm. it and I got in my hands and, and, you know, as a guy that struggles with self-esteem, as a guy that struggles with, you know, whatever success means, um, that was a huge, uh, it was a huge step for me, uh, means the world to me to have the book in my hands. And it means the world to me when people read it, you know, when, when, uh, you know, again, whether it's good, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's mine. They're my words. They're my, uh, you know, so yeah, that's my book story. You did well. I'll tell you, I done it. I I done it. I'm successful. You are, you are. And and just with your kids, that's enough. But yeah. with the book too, and your music, I, I, I will say I have not finished your book yet, but I've read enough books. I read a lot. I'm kind of a bibliophile. It's just one of those things. My wife and I love to read together and um, it's good. Oh, it really, and I recommend it. And, and I, I really think you should look at it. And as yourself, you're a success. Oh, thank you. That's my, my, that, that sounds like my wife. She's always like, you raised four wonderful kids. What more success do you want? I'm like, yeah, money, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Maybe the money. Yeah. <laughs> it's always the money. Does man, everybody you know? know my name? No. Mm, yeah. Gotta keep working. Yeah, exactly. No, that's all good. I'm, I'm, I'm actually today, which, which in the end is all we can ask for. Right. Brock and Danny is today. I am quite content. And uh, what else can I possibly need? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it, honestly, like, it's been a pleasure talking with you and getting to know you. And uh, I think yeah. that, um, you know, just the whole, y- your story, like your personal story. And then also too, like this book, like uh, just a lot of different things to take in. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a blast guys. I, I, I do yeah. feel like, uh, I do feel like I, I can, I can over talk. I, you can just let me, I don't, do you, you guys ever watch that? Um, uh, did you ever listen to that <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried uh, podcast? Have you ever listened to that? No, I know um, he can talk. Know he had one. Well, we <laughs> lost, yeah, we lost Gilbert a few years ago. But he yeah. would, they would, they would often have these. They interviewed old Hollywood, and he, they'd have these 80, 90 year old guys on, and they'd always say, "Oh, he was one of those guys where you just turn the mic on and off he goes." You know, mm-hmm. and yep. sometimes I feel like I'm a little wordy, but what are you you're fine, man. No, <laughs> no it's, it's good. It's good. Yeah. It's been great listening to you. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> Talking to you was fun too, but listening was great. No, and uh, and if you guys are ever out in Chicago, you got to come out, and I'm going to buy you a beer. Hey, yeah. I'm all up for that. I only live. Yeah, we didn't get to Chicago. talk about Hamilton, man. I meant oh, to. Yeah. Well, we don't have time for that. We don't have time. Don't start, Carlos. We don't have time. <laughs> it's the best. Love. Brock's it. family's waiting. My wife is probably waiting. We'll see. Hey, hey um, gentlemen, I I really appreciate. It. I had a blast, and uh, you guys are real pros. It, it was it was fun to uh, be here with you. Definitely. And I'm going to make sure that we get in the, in the show notes, the links for your book and, and music and just for people to be able to find you and things like that. Um, Because honestly, like the book itself is definitely uh, something worth checking out. I I was reading a little bit of just the synopsis, which is what you were telling us. And uh, it's very intriguing. And uh, I'm like, man, dude, like just the synopsis alone, like you start bringing tears to your eyes. Like I can only imagine. It's a lot there. Uh, Thanks guys. But no, it was a pleasure getting to talk with you. Um, honestly, like uh, I would, I'm just gonna put this out here because uh, I feel like this is always the fun thing. But I, I would love to see you show up to Home Dad Con to uh, get a hang out with some other stay at home dads. Uh, I know I'm that, in, dude. What are you talking that, about? I'm in. I mean, I know that I know that you got older kids, but we love 
just when stay-at-home dads like you know come in to well, from Germany convention. Yeah, we've got a guy from the Netherlands that has been coming for the past few years, so it's oh, not man. uncommon for international stay-at-home dads. So you have to definitely. I'll, uh, see I'll tell you, what, I'll I'll one up you. I'll do. I'll come in and do a little uh, gig. I'll do like a forty-five minute show, man. Hey, nice. we're always looking for entertainment, so that's possible. Can't go wrong. Look at me. I, I come. I come with my guitar. I, <laughs> I was going to say, you, 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 you got a guitarist, right? You got a guitarist, but you play guitar too. I'm a bass. Or I'm a bass player, you, but you I, bass. I can okay. fake my way through guitar if I have. Yeah, to. it's a guitar. <laughs> you got bass, you can do guitar. It's all good. <laughs> Don't tell well, guitarist hey, I said that. Carlos, thanks so much for uh, spending time with us. Uh, it really mm. was an honor to get a talk with you, and uh, hopefully, we get to meet you in person at some point. But uh hope you all have a great holiday season. Um, yeah. And uh, we'll talk to you hopefully sooner than later. So all, um, all the best, boys. I really do appreciate it. Definitely. And for Thank everybody you. else, we'll talk to you all next week. So have a good one. Good night, everybody. I'm a dad. That's what I do.